Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. We have privileged to have a guest speaker with us today and uh, his wife with him, Ken and Carrie Lyles. Uh, The Lyles, back in uh, the 1960s, in uh, preparing in 1967, moved with their young family to Iran, of all places, and to be missionaries there. And they were there until all the missionaries had to leave in 1979. You remember everything that went down there back then? And uh, then he became a college professor. I had him as one of my professors in missions and a pastor. And then about the year 2000, God opened the door uh, for them to go back into missionary work and uh, to reaching uh, these displaced people, all the refugees around the world, people who have left Iran, people who have left Iraq, who are leaving other places, and they're able to reach them in uh, the European countries, now in the Middle East, And so God is really using them. And for the last 14 years, we've had the privilege of being uh, part of their team and supporting them. And uh, uh, so Ken is 72 and and Carrie's 39. uh, But at 72 years of age, still going strong. Isn't that an awesome testimony for God's working? So come on up, Ken, if you would. um, We really are privileged to be a part of your work. And uh, we have a fairly significant investment in it. And uh, where our treasure is, our hearts is. So thank thank you. you. We look forward to hearing from you. Thank you. And that is so true. You have uh, invested in the Lord's work through us substantially. And uh, it's humbling for us, Carrie and I, when we think about it. Uh, We feel responsible. uh, And uh, we hope that we're doing uh, all that God wants us to and all that you want us to, uh, to reach the displaced of the world. I think a video would help sort of set the stage for uh, what we're doing to reach displaced people. It's really based on a verse of scripture. Everything we do ought to be based on scripture, right? And it's the word that really provokes us to good works and gives us our strategy. Uh, the Lord is the strategist, that's the general in the field, is where the word came from, Greek word, strategy. And the uh, word strategist means the art of the general. And if you had a good general who knew how to wage war, you'd win the war. And we have a good general. It's the Holy Spirit sent by the Lord Jesus Christ, and he directs us. Well, his He uses his word to give a strategy. And so one of our strategies based on uh, Matthew 9, 36, Jesus saw the multitudes and they were like sheep without a shepherd. They were fainting and scattered abroad. And he said, that's a harvest. So when the Arab Spring took place, we began to visualize a potential harvest of souls. It was the Lord's harvest. This is something he's doing in the Middle East. Nothing happens without his providential hand. And so we thought, that's a potential harvest, these people. So we begin to pray, Lord, open the door so that uh, we'll be the laborers and uh, we'll we'll go. If you just open the door, where we should go. And so the Lord did. That's a long story. I'm going to have Carrie to tell you that story uh, 
while we're here sometime during the week, but you ask her. She'll tell you a wonderful story how God used her to get us to Lebanon and used other people. The Lord is using so many people. It's his work. The Bible says we're co-laborers together with the Lord. Co-workers is actually, old King James says, co-workers together with God. He's the worker, we're the co-worker. And while he's doing the work, we're just enjoying the journey. And uh, I hope we're submissive to him in every way he wants us to. So we're going to look at a refugee crisis, sets the stage for reaching displaced people. Let's, let's do that. We are seeing something in our lifetime that is unprecedented in history. The Arab Spring, civil wars, and ethnic persecution have forced millions of people to lose everything, flee their homelands, and seek a place of refuge. Often with nothing but the clothes on their backs, they are running away, away from the violence, bombings, senseless killing, and they're ending up in neighboring countries desperate for help. Syria is one example of the terrible refugee crisis that the world is witnessing today. Syria, the country shattered, its people engulfed in conflict, its neighbors bearing a brutal burden. Three years of pain and devastation, the great tragedy of this century. In Jordan, a rough city rises from the desert, sheltering over 100,000 Syrian refugees. In Lebanon, rural and urban refugees live where they can, clustered in tents or abandoned buildings. In Turkey, 21 camps in 10 provinces. In northern Iraq, these Syrians find refuge in a park. Egypt, where more and more Syrians seek safety or a route to Europe. More than two million refugees Syria is hemorrhaging women, children, and men. And inside Syria, over four million displaced. More than half the human flood leaving Syria are children, one million children, 70% under the age of 12. Children like little Holler, only three days old when her family fled to Iraq or four-year-old Sahad, her face scarred, but her life saved. Or Aya, whose hope is to go to school. Or Abdullah, who works to feed his family. The tide does not subside. Last month, over 40,000 refugees crossed a temporary pontoon bridge in northern Iraq in just one week. Borders are overflowing. Support is critical and critically needed for communities hosting so many refugees. Neighboring countries have shown great generosity, but the strain on economies, on infrastructures is acute. Water, food, education, healthcare, housing. This crisis requires more than life-saving humanitarian aid. Across the region, the sense of a future has been broken. Life now is reduced to survival and waiting for peace and a path home. Seeing men, women, and children broken, hurting, disillusioned, and struggling for survival, I can't help but think of the words of Jesus when he saw the multitudes. 
The Bible says that he was moved with compassion for them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. In these neighboring countries, refugees are being saved, finding hope and life in Jesus Christ. Now, imagine what can happen if these former Muslims are discipled in their new life in Christ and taught how to come together for worship, encouragement, Bible study, and ministry in small house churches. When they go back to their homes, they can go with the gospel. They can be the missionaries to their own people, behind closed doors, where missionaries cannot go. Never in the history of missions have we seen such opportunity. I get situated here. Uh, it's, it's, it is the greatest human tragedy of the 21st century. And the, uh, and the tragedy just seems to grow. And the, the fallout continues to face us with important and solemn decisions to be made in the future. There are now 60 million refugees and internally displaced people, the highest number in 20 years. And according to CIA statistics, uh, this would uh, comprise the 26th largest nation in the world if they were a nation. So. These people have fled their homes because of war, economics, politics, some of them displaced in their own country, if you can imagine. And according to the UNHCR, the figures only give a glimpse of this enormous tragedy. Uh, the tragedy is growing 6,000 a month. Every time you blink your eyes, about every four seconds, Another refugee is forced to flee their home. Nearly half of all refugees are under the age of 18. Talk about a youth ministry. Two-thirds of the refugees are women and children. There's an article in Foreign Affairs in the fall of 1985 that described refugees and it's never more applicable than it is today and I'll just quote it the store their stories have a depressing even numbing sameness they may have seen their houses shops or land burned seized pillaged or invaded their countrymen often friends or relatives taken away without explanation they may have been expelled from their jobs or from their homes. Their lives may have been threatened. They may have been injured or raped or robbed in their escape. And that escape may have taken them over hundreds of miles and in many borders. They may have reached their country of refuge, exhausted, emaciated, or dying. They often care little what happens to themselves, but will do anything to ensure a safe future for their children. They worry continuously about those they've left behind. No wonder the displaced uh, that Jesus talked about when he saw the multitudes 
are a distressed and downcast people. Other translations say harassed and helpless or confused uh, and aimless, bewildered, uh, like sheep without a shepherd. And when Jesus made a circuit of all these towns and villages, and he taught in their meeting places, and he taught about the kingdom of God coming, and he healed their diseased bodies, their bruised and broken lives. And when he looked out over these crowds, his heart broke because they were so confused and aimless, like sheep without a shepherd. What a huge harvest! He said to his disciples, how few workers get on your knees and pray for harvest hands is what Jesus said. And so we have a great opportunity that is, is, is facing us today. And we're not just facing this by ourselves, Carrie and I, we have some co-workers with us. And uh, they are David and Bonnie Jones, and they were missionaries in uh, Tanzania for 26 years. And they have joined us in Lebanon to reach the displaced. And we have focused on Syrians and Iraqis because that's, that's who's coming to Lebanon. And uh, we have gone to Lebanon for three reasons. One is accessibility. Uh, if we go to these camps that you saw, like the Zatari camp in, in northern Jordan, where 100,000 Syrians have gathered, it would almost, working among them would be prohibitive because there are, there are ISIS warriors who have come to those camps to recuperate from wounds in the war. And uh, there are other uh, people that are inside those camps that make it very difficult for us to do any kind of work. Whatsoever. So, uh, when they but when they come to Lebanon, they they scatter out all over the place in vacant buildings, vacant lots, and they're accessible to us. So that's one of the reasons the Lord led us there. And another is there are a number of real good Christian uh, people there in Lebanon and good solid churches. We're working with two Baptist churches, one in Beirut and one in the city of Zahli. And uh, uh, these churches have been reaching out to Syrian refugees, uh, but they didn't have an evangelistic and church planning program, and so we joined these churches and collaborated with them and offered them a Bible study that leads to a church plant and the multiplication of churches because we believe that the single most effective evangelistic methodology under God's heaven is planting New churches. New churches will reach more people than old churches reach. So we just believe in church planning. So we have collaborated with these people, wonderful people. I wish you could meet them. Uh, and I wish we had time to, to talk about them. They are really on fire for the Lord. They're really serving. A lot of these uh, leaders of the Bible studies that we have uh, trained uh, they'll work a 40, 60 hour week and then they'll do their Bible study on a Sunday. And, and then they work with their people during the week. They'll get off work and they'll go visit some of the Syrian families uh, that, are, that they've been uh, laboring for. Uh, another reason besides the collaboration is language. Uh, 
the Lebanese speak English, which makes it easy for us to train the Lebanese who speak English as well as Arabic. And uh, we teach uh, the Bible study and the church planning in English, and then they turn around and teach the same things in Arabic to the Syrians and to the Iraqi refugees. So uh, our base is in Beirut. We have an apartment there uh, we, uh, that the Lord provided for us. A dear lady died, and uh, the apartment came open, and everything that she owned was left in the apartment. We haven't bought a thing, not a spoon, not a knife, not a glass. It just moved in as the Lord had provided. And she's gone to glory. And uh, her, her family was a Christian family. Uh, the owners of our apartment live in Ames, Iowa. He is a doctor, a Lebanese doctor. And, and they're just wonderful Christian people. And they have worked with us. And they gave their apartment to us for a third of the cost. So we're just so thankful to the Lord for what he's done. Uh, our ministry plan is uh, to, and I, this is a quote from our, our mission statement, so it might be a little technical, but uh, we, we want to catalyze church planting movements among displaced peoples by discipling indigenous leaders to bring the lost to salvation, believers to maturity, new churches into being, and positive hope for their communities. And we do this uh, by uh, doing three things. One is a discovery Bible study, which is a simple, small group Bible study that can be, that can, uh, be accomplished with limited resources, bringing both literate and illiterate people to a place of understanding and obedience to the scriptures uh, and a setting of mutual accountability. Now what that means is, when we do our Bible study, people go out and they have an obedient statement that they have discovered God wants them to do. And they go out that week and they do it. And then they share what they learned from the Bible with somebody else. And then they come back and report on it. Uh, I don't know if that would work in Baptist churches here in America. So we're starting little churches that don't know any different. Uh, that, that you're supposed to obey what the Bible says. <laughs> so and I, I say that, I'm not trying to be facetious, but I tried something like that in Topeka in the Midwest. I had five things. Did you read your Bible this week? Did you tithe? Uh, did you witness? Did you, and uh, I almost had a church uh, split over that. So I, I did away with it. People don't want accountability in some places. But, but these uh, unsaved Syrians hear what God says and they go out and obey it and they come back and they report on it. And so we're discipling them towards salvation and then toward a New Testament church plant. And uh, it's just really exciting. I'm trying to get the pastor to help me this afternoon. He's going to get a chance to be a part of our church planning process. He doesn't know that yet. Uh, but so I'm just giving him a heads up. Uh, but anyway, I'm sure we'll spend some time together. So I'll pick his brain and he can give some input into what we're going to be doing in the near future. And then we believe in accelerated discipleship, obedience based, leads people to the immediate practice of what uh, truths they're learning and they discover from the scripture. 
And then we introduce uh, the house church ministry. Uh, and in the DNA of these house churches are all five purposes of the church. Evangelism, ministry, fellowship, uh, training, and worship. And uh, we practice all five of those things in the very first meeting that we have. They don't know it, but that's what we practice. And we do it in simple ways. Like, for example, we ask them, uh, is there anything to be thankful for? Can you imagine a question like that to Syrian refugees that have just escaped for their life? Is there anything to be thankful for? And you know, every one of them has something to be thankful for. Well, we're alive, they say. Uh, we had food today. Uh, we have shelter for a while. And they're all thankful. Well, that's a way of worshiping, isn't it? Being thankful to God for what he has provided. So we teach them worship. We teach them evangelism. We tell them to go out and share the the lesson they learned with somebody that week, which is a form of evangelism, maybe not full-blown, but it's a baby step toward sharing the Word of God. Simple things like that, but we practice all five purposes of the church in that Bible study. It's really a lot of fun. You want to try it. And uh, maybe multiply your church ten times what it is. It's just a suggestion, just a suggestion. Uh, but uh, anyway... Uh, so I, I, I want you to come back tonight. We're going to be sharing some things with you and we'll be answering some of the questions that you have about Islam in our world. Uh, I think that it was uh, one, of my, one of my mentors that uh, I followed for a long time now. He said, he wrote in one of his books, uh, the long conflict between Islam and Christianity, which has lasted for nearly 1,500 years. Did you know that? There has been a conflict between uh, Christian, so-called Christian countries and Islam for 1,500 years. It is likely, he said, to intensify during the 21st century as Muslims emigrate to the Western world in unprecedented numbers. Did you know that the influx of Muslims into our country has increased 356% in the last decade. So unprecedented numbers. The, the same thing could be said about Europe, the Western world. And some experts suggest, he wrote, that Europe will be Islamic by the end of the century and that the rest of the Western world will eventually follow suit but this does not have to happen. We are going to determine the question of our future. Our enemies will not decide it. The devil will not decide it. And God has put no limitations upon us. So if we, if we want a different future than what the pundits are predicting, then we need to go out and win everybody to Christ that we can before the Muslims try to win us to Islam. Amen? That seems like a simple program. Just get out and do our work and win everybody we can and, let, and train them to win everybody they can. And uh, we, don't have, we don't have to face a future of Islamism. We can uh, experience the liberty and the freedom 
a joy and a peace that we have in the gospel if we'll spread it. Amen? So I want to I spend some time right now talking to you about Muslim evangelism for beginners. And we'll get that up on the screen. Now, I taught 36 Islamic seminars in, uh, in the Philippines. And uh, after I taught all these seminars, some of the Filipinos would come up to me and then say, well, but, but Brother Ken, what do we do? And I had just taught them for hours on what to do. And I thought to myself, well, they're not getting it. What, what can I say? What can I do in order for them to get it? What, what they're supposed to do? So I thought, well, I'm going to come up with, a, with a, a presentation on Muslim evangelism for dummies. And uh, one of the Filipinos, sweet Filipinos, they're so gentle. They're so they're, uh, precious people. And they came up and said, Brother Ken, uh, calling us dummies is not nice. So I said, well, maybe that's not a good idea. We changed the theme, Muslim evangelism for beginners. And uh, the number one reason why we do not witness to Muslims when we see them, and you'll see them at Walmart, or you'll see them in the town, some in school maybe, some you work with. The reason we don't witness to them, we don't share our faith with them, is because of fear. We're afraid of, we don't know what to say. We're afraid of what they might say in return. We just don't know how it's going to turn out. So uh, we, we're fearful. But Jesus gives us a little outline in Matthew chapter 5 that I think is simple and straightforward. It will help you to know what to do when you meet a Muslim. So let's read it together, shall we? We have heard that it hath been said. Are you, are you with me? Uh, can you read a little bit louder? Uh, I'm having, at 72, a little hearing problem. So, uh, you have heard that it hath been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Now, this is probably not the verse of choice for most redneck Americans <laughs> that are facing the Islamic question, right? But these are the words of Jesus. And if Jesus is our Lord, we should take his words seriously and do them. Amen? So there's four things here I want to, I've highlighted. Four verbs, actually. Somebody said the Great Commission is a verb. Uh, go and baptize and teach. But here are four verbs Jesus says that we ought to practice uh, with our enemies. The first one is love, bless. Third, do good. And the fourth one is, is pray. So these four things, love, bless, do good, and pray. Now, how can we do those things? And I'm going to suggest that there's four things we can do to love our enemy, to bless them, to do good to them, to pray for them, that's very simple, very easy, and I want to say very profound, especially when it comes to a Muslim. Now, I've lived with Muslims most of my life, uh, ministry life. I've, I've debated with Muslims. I've argued with Muslims. I've 
thought the way they think. I've read the Koran. I have, I've been baptized, as it were, uh, in uh, Islamics. So I do understand them. And I think these four suggestions will be profound uh, for them. And so I want to suggest them to you. Yes, but how? Love them. Now, how can you love them? <laughs> I told you it was easy. Just say hello. Amen? Can you? <laughs> hello. Because when you go to the, when you go to the Walmart and you see the, the Muslim lady all dressed up in the garb, do you rush right up home and introduce yourself and say hello and, and establish a relationship? No. Why? Fear. You don't know what to say. You don't know how they're going to respond. So on and so forth. So just say hello. That's easy. We can love people by initiating a relationship. They're enemies, but when you show kindness and love to them because you love God and you're doing what he said to do and you're going to love your enemy, one place you can start very simply and just say hello and establish a relationship with them. Then bless them. How can you do that? Listen. Counselors will tell you that most of their counseling is just listening. I heard a counselor say one time, guy came in and talked for 45 minutes, this guy. The counselor never said a word. And when the person walked out, they said, thank you, you have helped me so much. <laughs> so I just, what did you do? Just listen. And I know it's sometimes it's, it's hard for some of us to listen. Wives can testify to that. Uh, to, to listen, for husbands to listen to what they're saying. My wife used to say to me, you're ignoring me and I hate ignorant people. <laughs> well, actually she said ignorant people, but uh, it, uh, it, uh, it, it, it fit. And uh, so I got the message to listen. We can bless people by listening and we're going to explain that in a moment. But how can you do good to people? And I'm going to suggest giving your testimony. And fourthly, pray for them. Just get a prayer request. And this is very simple things. Let's go over them one by one. Say hello. What can you do? When you say hello, give them your name. My name is Ken. Give them your first name, not your last name. They could be a terrorist. Uh, and uh, they might look you up in the phone book. In uh, you know, throw a pop bomb in a pop a pipe bomb in your uh, pipe bomb <laughs> uh, in your window. So you don't want to do that. You're still a little bit fearful, right? So give them your first name. Ask them their first name, and uh, use their name at least three times in the course of your conversation because it's music to their ears. Use their name, uh, and so ask questions. Uh, this is the second thing you can do once you have. Introduce yourself and you've opened the conversation. You've said hello. You've really demonstrated your love for the Lord by doing so. You're wanting to obey him. And you're trying to establish an op a witnessing opportunity. So uh, in order to bless them, you're going to listen, right? So in listening, you might, have to, you might have to start the conversation with a few questions. And one of the best questions for a Muslim is... Tell me something about your faith. Tell me something about your faith. I don't know much about Islam. Tell me about Islam and open the door for him. The reason why that's important is Islam 
is not just a religion for them. It's their way of life. It is who they are. It's their culture. It's their politics. It's everything to them. So you're asking them about the nearest and dearest thing to their heart. And you're just going to ask them and then listen, right? You're not going to ask them about their faith and then argue with their answers. No. What are you going to do? Can I hear you say it? Listen. Yes. Just, uh, just be quiet and listen. And then uh, another good question to ask them is, uh, how, in Islam, how do you know you're going to go to heaven when you die? And that's a great question for them because uh, no Muslim knows for sure they're going to go to heaven when they die. They will say, God knows. Are you going to go to heaven when you die? Well, God knows. That's their standard answer. Inshallah, God willing. But none of them know for sure they're going to go to heaven. And uh, when you give your testimony uh, in the third thing, you're going to tell them how you know you're going to go to heaven. So you're kind of setting that up with these questions. Tell me something about your faith. Tell me how you know you're going to go to heaven when you die. Then when they get finished with, we really don't know, it's up to God. Okay, answer. Then you're going to go to the third thing. You're going to do something good for them by giving your testimony. You could say, well, let me tell you how I know I'm going to go to heaven when I die. And then tell them uh, about how you got saved. Three points to your, to your testimony. They come from the book of Acts. Paul gave his testimony three times. And there's a little outline that you can follow. What your life has been like before you got saved. What happened the day you got saved. And what your life has been like since you've been saved. And write that out, I would recommend, on a half sheet of paper. I said a, a one page here, but write it on a half sheet of paper. Slip in a verse of scripture because that's so important that they, they hear the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So give them the scripture that was associated with your coming to Christ. Uh, mine is 2 uh, Corinthians 5.17. Uh, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. This was a verse my dad gave to me. I was a preacher's kid. And I was a preacher's kid struggling to be a Christian. Uh, and I would get caught stealing and lying and cheating and stuff like that all the time. My dad would get on me. Uh, my dad was a master sergeant in the army. He was a master sergeant at home. And you can imagine what happened to me when he found something I stole. I got a whooping, as we say in the South. I got a whooping, and then it just was terrible. And I was, you know, I was exposed as a, a non-Christian. So I'd make my way forward, and I'd make a profession of faith, and I'd get baptized, and everything would be hunky-dory, as we say in Texas, for a while. And then I'd go back to the old life and I'd do something else and get them. I think I had about three baptisms uh, before I was 17, before it really took. <laughs> before, I was, uh, about, before I was 17, when I finally got... My dad came to my room and he said, Son, you're not saved. And I'm thinking, Uh-huh, I've heard you preach and I'm supposed to judge. I'm thinking this. Would never dare say that out loud. To a sergeant father. 
And I'm thinking, you know, I'm supposed to judge. He says, now, son, I'm not judging you. Uh, I'm just a fruit inspector. And, and you just don't have the fruit of a, of, a, of a Christian. Because the Bible says, and this is the verse. The Bible says, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And son, there's nothing new with you. <laughs> I remember that. There's nothing new with you. You're still doing the same old things behind me and your mother's back that you've always done. Lying and cheating and stealing and carrying on. You are not a Christian. You can't be. You don't have the fruits of a Christian. I was convicted of the Holy Spirit. And I knew if I died that day, I'd go to hell. I was not saved. And so I kind of surrendered to the Lord. It was... I hate that I did it that way. I wish I'd have been saved by joy, but it was out of fear. Uh, and I, I just surrender. Okay, I give up. I, I asked Jesus to come into my heart. He came in, and guess what? I began to be a new creation in Christ. And now I don't steal or lie or cheat near as much as I... No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> but the Lord started changing my life. From the inside out. And that's my testimony. I can give it much briefer than that. But that's, that's my testimony. And you can give your testimony. About what it was like before. The day that it happened. And what it was like afterward. So. Give your testimony. And then the last thing. Get a prayer request. Get a prayer request. Muslims love to pray. They pray five times a day. Uh, and uh, you can. Ask them about their health, about uh, sickness in their home, about a job, about educational opportunities. All uh, immigrants, all refugees have all kinds of problems like that that merit prayer. And this is a great opportunity for you to pray in Jesus' name and, and see God work miracles. I uh, wish I had the time to tell you about all the miracles that are taking place through prayer among these Syrian refugees. They're absolutely amazed at the power of prayer. But pray and uh, ask the Lord to help. Uh, we have done this all over the world. And we have seen Muslims with tears in their eyes uh, saying to us, nobody's ever prayed for me like that before. I've never experienced a prayer like that before. Because you're going to talk to them just as you would talk to God. You're going to take them into the presence of a holy God. And they're going to sense his presence in your prayer. They're going to know they're with God. It'll be the first time in their life they've ever experienced a prayer like that. So it's going to be dynamic. So what can we do? Uh, to the Muslims we encounter that come to America, that are in our cities, uh, we can love them. We can... Do what? Say hello. Just say hello. Initiate a conversation. Then what can we do? Ask questions. And what are you going to do when you ask questions? You're going to listen. Right? And then what good thing can you do? What's the best thing you could do for a Muslim? Give your testimony of how you got saved. And then lastly, get a prayer request and pray. And if you see that person again. They may want to see you again. If you see them again, you can ask them, well, did God answer our prayers? 
Uh, I've done that in, in Lebanon with some of our neighbors. I have a neighbor who is a, he's a, uh, a, a building uh, uh, engineer and he was out of a job. And I said, well, you come on down to my apartment. Let's have prayer. Let's pray for you a good job. And uh, he, a couple of weeks later, he got a job. And I'm still working with him and get him, get him saved. I was in a pizza hut one day and it was run by Iranians. And so I started talking to him in Iranian, in Farsi. Uh, are you making, you have a good business? Is, is things, oh, no, it's not very good at all. Well, you know, I'm a praying person. I believe God answers prayer in Jesus' name. Would you mind if I pray with you? We were right there. I mean, <laughs> there was no customers, so it wasn't uh, anything at all. And we had prayer. I prayed for their business, that the Lord would bless it. They would be busy, that they would do good in their business. And then I went back a couple of weeks, uh, no, a couple of months later. I, I went back to the field and I came back and I went into that pizza place and I says, well, how's business? And they said, oh man, we're so busy. We don't have time to breathe. I haven't seen my mother. And uh, he said, I, I don't know how to remember what he said. He's, I don't have time to date anymore. <clears throat> we're working night and day. I'm even sleeping in the shop. I said, well, no problem. We can pray that God will lessen your business and you'll have more time. And he said, no, 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 don't do that. <laughs> Just pray that we'll have the strength. So we prayed for them. God answers prayer. Muslims are impressed with answered prayer. So four things that you can do as simple as falling off a log. But I want to tell you, they are profound when it comes to Muslims. And I hope that you will do that. Now, tonight, let me just address about tonight on the next uh, uh, slide. Let's go to the slide of Samuel King. Can we do that? All right. There we go. This is a little essay uh, of a homeschooled 11-year-old in um, Montana City, Montana. His parents, for his homework, said, look, we're having a missions conference. I want you to write an essay. And so he wrote it and he brought it to me the first uh, day I was there. And, and I read it. And I was absolutely struck with the wisdom that was in this, four, this 11 year old's essay. He said, we're having a mission conference in our church and there are a lot of speakers coming in to talk about Muslims. He didn't capitalize Muslims, it's just like he wrote it. I would like to learn why Muslims hate Christians so much. But mostly, I would like to know how to show Muslims Jesus is the only way. I would like God to work in my heart to pray for them. And so I thought to myself, my goodness, there's a three-point outline. And I want to show it to you. First of all, he said, I would like to learn. Now that is the right attitude. I would like to learn why Muslims hate us so much. And then secondly, but mostly, I would like to know how to show Muslims Jesus is the only way. That's the right answer. The right answer, the biblical answer for Muslims is show Jesus the only way. And there is a, uh, there is a right answer to give Muslim questions they ask. And we're going to talk about that tonight. For 1,400 years, we've been arguing with Muslims, Christians and Muslims, to no avail. And so there is a right answer. We'll talk about that tonight. And then uh, thirdly, I would like God to work in my heart to pray for them. That's the right activity. 
Prayer is not the only thing we do in church, but it's the first thing we must do if anything else worthwhile is to be accomplished. We start with prayer. There's other things we can do, like humanitarian aid to Syrian refugees. We do that, but it's all bathed in prayer and a prayerful attitude. So uh, God needs to work in our heart. Would you agree with that? Uh, we're exposed to the news media, which is really negative about um, Islam uh, and Muslims. And uh, we have a presidential candidate who doesn't want to let Muslims come into the country at all, which is really, uh, Hillary Clinton, Clinton said, un-American, which uh, he really is. Uh, but I understand his concern. And I think they both have an element of truth in what they say. But uh, don't, you, don't you agree that God really needs to work in our heart? And so we need that. And tonight we're going to spend a little time uh, developing, if we can, the right attitude, uh, the right answer we can give to Muslim questions that are raised, and the right activity, the right approach to our uh, engagement with uh, Muslims who are coming to our country. So I want you to come tonight. We'll also at the end have a Q&A time, all right? And uh, you have questions and uh, uh, Lord willing, I'll be able to answer them. Hopefully, if not, the pastor can answer them. All right. Pastor, if you'll come, let's close in a word of prayer. I'm going to ask the pastor to lead us in prayer. And I want to thank you again for uh, having us to come. Pastor, you, you've been so gracious. Uh, we love you and, and your dear wife and, and family. I didn't recognize Jonathan this morning. So he, he helped me out a little bit. Uh, recognized Matthew, Matt, almost. Uh, he, he was yesterday, he had a cap on, and, and I don't know what it was, but today he looks real clean. He cleans up nice. Yes, but thank, thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Such a, very much a privilege to, have, uh, uh, to be a part of their, their ministry. And uh, the Bible would tell us that the fruit that God has given them that also that gets on our account as well. And so we're privileged to be a part of that. Uh, so let's remind ourselves, we do three things around here, okay? If you, if you remember what they are, say them with me. We surrender to the Lord, we grow to be like the Lord, we tell others about the Lord, and that includes the Muslims that God brings across our path. And so really encourage you to come back tonight and, and be a part of uh, what's going on here. Uh, if, if you're here today and you have questions, you know, maybe you've heard something today, say, wow, I don't, I don't quite understand that, but for my own life, uh, please either talk to one of us or head right back to the Connection Center and we can uh, help you, steer you in a direction where you can get those answers to those questions. Uh, next Sunday, uh, we're going to start a new sermon series uh, from the, um, the book of 1 Thessalonians. Uh, and it's, it's called Persuaded because it says when Paul went and preached the Thessalonians, that some of them were persuaded and they followed Christ. And uh, so next Sunday's sermon is called, and it's interesting you kept using this word today, but it's profoundly changed. What happened to the Thessalonians when they came to Christ? So, all right, let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for uh, your word today.